to uh, look again at Nehemiah chapter or four. Uh, look at our study in Nehemiah, and uh, <clears throat> this morning our message is entitled "Dealing with Discouragement." I'm sure none of you have ever been discouraged before, right? Uh, that's almost something that we all come across one time or another, more times than we would, would desire. But uh, maybe this morning if you are, you're familiar with uh, Murphy's Law, right? Uh, the original Murphy, uh, I guess, was an engineer who conducted an experiment to test human acceleration tolerances. Um, I, my acceleration tolerances aren't too great right now. I can't accelerate very well. But unfortunately for him, he installed 16 motion sensors the wrong way, uh, leading to the famous quotation, if anything can go wrong, it will. And I'm sure you've uh, uh, felt that way before. Uh, there's a corollary to that, which is also true. If anything can't go wrong, it will anyway. Uh, but uh, some of the laws that are blamed on poor Mr. Murphy, you know, left to themselves, things tend to go from bad to worse. Uh, matter will be damaged in direct proportion to its value. I think we all know what, <laughs> what that's like. Something gets broken, it's usually in, in proportion to its value. You will never find a lost article until you replace it. Uh, everything goes wrong all at once. And if everything seems to be going well, you're obviously overlooked something. Uh, we come to Nehemiah chapter 4. Everything seems to be going wrong all at once. Uh, in chapter 1, we looked at Nehemiah, how he prayed. Chapter 2, we saw how God moved uh, from the, him from the prosperity of Persia to the desolation of Jerusalem. Uh, last uh, uh, week, we were introduced to the wall workers and discovered that in kingdom work, no one can, can do everything. And again, I, I appreciate uh, our church here and the willingness to work uh, and help and do the things that need to be done around our church. Uh, even today is an example of that, how that, uh, you know, your pastor can't do everything especially when his back is uh, in, in disarray. But uh, I'm thankful for those who step up and step in and help uh, in, in that. Uh, but uh, as we, some work harder, uh, we talked about Beirut last week. He worked harder than, with more zeal than anyone else, and the construction probably, uh, project was uh, probably zipping along because of that. But when we come to chapter 4, things start to get a, a more complicated for Nehemiah. Again, Mr. Murphy shows up and reminds Nehemiah that when everything seems to be going well, well, you've obviously overlooked something. Uh, that reminds me of a situation that took place a number of years ago in uh, Darlington, Maryland. A mother by the name of Edith, she was a mother of eight. Uh, she came home one Saturday afternoon from her neighbor's house only to discover five of her youngest children were huddled together in the living room intensely concentrating on something. And as she slipped in behind them to see what they were doing, she could not believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of her kids were several baby skunks. And she screamed at the top of her voice, said, Children, run! So each one grabbed a skunk and ran to their bedroom. You know, if anything can go wrong, it certainly will. Now, perhaps 
you thought this as well, but there's a plague sweeping our country, and you probably have a number of things in mind when we say that. Uh, but uh, it's not the bird flu. Uh, it's not cancer. It's not even a common cold. But the outbreak can just be as deadly as most the most dreaded disease known to man, and it's called the ec- epidemic of discouragement. There's, a, there's an epidemic of discouragement sweeping our country, uh, even as we talk. And maybe you're discouraged this morning. Uh, maybe you're discouraged the way the political uh, scene is in our country. Maybe you're discouraged with the financial uh, aspects of our, of our economy and so forth. Maybe you're discouraged with something that's going on in your own home or your own life. Uh, but it, there's at least three things that make it a very potent problem. And those three things are, it's universal. None of us are immune to discouragement. There's no one here this morning who said, well, I've never been discouraged. Well, maybe you've been a pretty happy person, but I'm sure that somewhere along the line, you've gotten discouraged. Everyone uh, you've ever known has been discouraged one time or another. It's also recurring. Uh, Being discouraged once does not give you the immunity of the disease. You, you know, you think, well, if I was discouraged once, then I will never be discouraged again. No, it probably will happen again uh, more times than not. But uh, you'll be discouraged over and over again in your life. In fact, you can even be discouraged by the fact that you're discouraged a lot. And then it's highly contagious. Ever been around somebody that's been discouraged? Well, it's fun, isn't it? Uh, Discouragement spreads by even casual contact. People can become disheartened because you're discouraged. Uh, You can be bummed out because other people are discouraged. And this morning we want to focus on the causes and the cures of discouragement. And so we begin looking at the causes, and the first cause would be external causes. Now really there are two main types of discouragement. One set of problems comes at us from the outside. The other set attacks us from the inside. And so we're going to look first at the external causes. Now the wall workers in chapter 4 were initially excited. They began to work with great anticipation, with great joy. It seems, uh, or it says of them here in verse 6, that for the people had a mind to work. It's always a great thing for to have uh, people that are working on a project to have a mind to work. Nothing is more discouraging than to have a, a group of people working on a project and only one or two or people are doing the, the, the work and the rest are just kind of uh, sitting around and not doing anything. But here the people had a mind to work. Things were going well. People were excited. The wall was going up and then something happened. Getting the work started on the wall was a major achievement, but keeping the workers working proved to be a much tougher assignment. Someone has said that acceleration is that feeling you get just after a great idea hits you and right before you realize what's wrong with it. You know, we've all had a great idea and then we think, oh, maybe that's not going to work after all. We're really excited about it initially, But then reality sets in and we say, oh, this is going to be a lot more work than I thought it was. And where God is at work, the enemy is also at work. Rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem was certainly no exception. When people take kingdom priorities seriously, Satan 
is going to stir up agitators to block the work of God. These enemies usually, uh, are, are they, they will use two types of external uh, forces. The first one is ridicule. We see this here in verses 1 and 2. And it says, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end of the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which have burned? Now the word there that in verse 1 of mocked means to deride, to to laugh at, to hold in derision or, or to ridicule. And this is actually the third time now in this book that we've come across this fellow by the name of Sanballat. He was Nehemiah's stiffest opposition. And every time we read about him, he's standing against the work of God. He's rejecting, he's ridiculing everything that Nehemiah is trying to accomplish. Someone has said that ridicule is the language of the devil. Those who stand bravely when shot at collapse when they're laughed at. The enemy will often uh, insults the servants of God. Remember Goliath ridiculed David? David the shepherd boy who met the giant with only a sling in his hand. And the soldiers mocked Jesus during his trial and the crowd taunted him while he was hanging on the cross. Now, if you recall, Sanballat and his cronies had begun to ridicule the workers even before the work started. And that was back in chapter 2 in verse 19. It says, they laughed us to scorn and despised us. Now, here in chapter 4, he's kind of making a speech before the army of Samaria, intensifying the power of ridicule. Notice he called the workers feeble. That word means withered or miserable. Next, he ridiculed the job they were doing by asking four taunting questions. Will they restore their wall? That must have made the Samaritan army break out into laughter. I mean, who could believe that these feeble Jews could even rebuild this wall? How could a remnant of feeble Jews build a wall strong enough to protect the city from a mighty army? Then he asked, will they offer sacrifices? Uh, He's saying that it'll take more than prayer and worship to rebuild the city. And will they finish it in a day? That suggests the workers had no idea how difficult the, the task was or how soon they would stop what they were doing. Then he asked, can they revive the stones and bring these stones back to life? That indicates their building materials were so old and damaged, they couldn't possibly make a strong wall. Now in verse 3, it was Tobiah's turn to ridicule the workers. And what he does is he tries to make a, a joke on them. And I think it's a feeble, if you want to use the word feeble, here it's a feeble attempt to make a joke. In verse 3, he says, what are they building? Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. Ha, ha, ha. That's kind of a feeble joke, right? Well, archaeological excavations on these walls reveal that they were nine feet thick. 
Now that's a pretty good, pretty good wall. They would need more than a small fox to knock them down. And the workers became the punchline of every joke. Everyone got to laugh at their expense. Tobiah hoped that the sarcasm would make the builders cast an apprehensive glance at their hard work and activate within them an avalanche of discouragement. Listen, friends, whenever you attempt to get involved in the work of God, you're always going to face someone who's going to ridicule or criticize you. They're going to make fun of you. And we can just expect it. But we dare not stop working. The second cause of external discouragement was repression. In verse 7 and 8, the enemies had moved from being bothered by the Jews to being very angry. Now they were plotting together and and they were going to fight against Jerusalem. They were going to stir up as much trouble as they possibly could. Now have you ever noticed that God's uh, people sometimes have difficulty working together. Ever notice that? Sometimes we have difficulty in working together, but the people of the world have no problem uniting in opposition to the work of the Lord. Now the difference, or the references here in verse 7, uh, to the four points of the compass, Sanballat, And the Samaritans were on the north, Ashdod on the west, Tobiah and the Ammonites on the east, and Geshem and the Arabs to the south. The workers were surrounded, and they lived in constant fear of being ambushed. Ever feel surrounded with discouragement? Seems like nothing is going to go right. People are not working for you, they're working against you. And everything seems to be going in a difficult way. Well, there are external causes for discouragement, ridicule and repression. But there also is some internal causes. Internal causes of discouragement. Pressures from without often create pressures and problems within. Opposition outside the ranks can lead to depression from the inside. It wasn't the voice of the enemy that was the most persuasive. It was the voice of God's own people. And just like today, it's so easy to internalize words of the enemy and feel like giving up. Notice the very first part of verse 10. It says, Judas said, Judas said, discouragement started first within the royal tribe of Judah. They had David's blood in their veins and you could you would think they would have had more faith and more courage from the rest of the people. They looked they looked upon their leaders and uh, they were looked upon as leaders and pace setters. And if the tribe of Judah was going to be discouraged, then other people would also be discouraged. So the first cause of internal discouragement is fatigue. Fatigue. Because verse 10 not only says, and Judah said, but it says, notice what they said. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. And very simply put, the workers were tired. They were hitting it hard and they needed some rest. That word decayed there carries with it the idea of giving out, staggering, tottering, and stumbling. I think that's probably part of my problem was I got a little fatigued, and that's when my back wants to give me problems. 
But when you're physically drained, it's easy to become discouraged at the slightest problem. It's also interesting to notice that the workers became fatigued and discouraged. Verse 6 says the wall was built to half its height. Many times when we start a new project, the first half goes quickly. It's the last half that's the hardest. When the newness wears off and the work becomes routine, becomes boring, it's easy to become fatigued. And when you're tired, it's easy to become discouraged and begin to think, I'm never going to get this job finished. Verse 10 says, we are not able to build the wall. They were ready to throw in the towel. These people were the same people who were described in verse 6 who had a mind to work. But now they were tired. When you're tired, we get grumpy. Who ate your bowl of sunshine, thundercloud? If you're feeling fatigued today, watch out. Tiredness can lead to discouragement. Remember what God did when Elijah was tired? He sent an angel to give him some bread and something to drink, and then he told him, go back to sleep. We have a saying around our house, you need to go to bed. We got that when we were visiting Mrs. Fleming's sister ho- sister's house some time ago, and her sister and her husband were having a discussion. You know, one of those discussions. And it was late e- in the evening, and he was getting to be a real grump. Her sister said to him, you need to go to bed. Well, whenever one of us gets really tired at the end of the day, we're not functioning very well, and The other one will say, you need to go to bed. And it's true. You know, fatigue can can often contribute to saying and doing things that would be better unsaid. And there's a real need for some rest, some sleep. You cannot burn the candle at both ends on the long-term basis. Sometimes the most spiritual thing to do is to go to bed. The second thing that can happen is that We can get frustrated. Verse 10 continues to say, There is much rubbish that cannot, they cannot rebuild the wall. They became discouraged because they were so aggravated with the situation. I'm sure they encountered some old broken rocks, some dirt, some dried out mortar, other debris that was underfoot. The junk was everywhere. It was frustrating. Just as they lost sight of their goal, so too we must, uh, we can lose sight of our goal when we have too much garbage in our lives. Hebrews 12.1 challenges us to get rid of everything that causes us to be frustrated in the pursuit of holiness. It says, let us lay aside every weight and, sin, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I don't know what the rubbish is in your life. Maybe it's the television. Maybe it's a a possession that you're holding on to that you need to get rid of. Or maybe possessions. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Whatever it is, is there a sin you've been playing around with too long? Do you have a bad habit problem? Or are you involved in some other uh, kind of entanglement that's tripping you up? Something you've been doing in secret that you think no one else knows about? 
Again, the writer in Hebrews says, lay aside every weight. Throw it off so you don't get tripped up. Carrying extra baggage can cause us to be frustrated. Another discouragement is fear. The enemies of the Lord's work had struck fear in the hearts of God's people and they were they felt like giving up. Remember what they said in verse 10, we are unable to build the wall. Did you ever notice verse 12? In verse 12, who gets afraid the quickest? Look at verse 12 again. It says, And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them, they said unto us ten times from all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. The most affected by fear are those who live near pessimistic people. If you want to limit the depressing thoughts that bring fear into your life, then it's best not to hang around negative people. It's like the old saying, and I think it might be uh, one fellow's favorite saying. He said, if you're going to soar with eagles, you can't run around with a bunch of turkeys. Fear puts us in a frame of mind where we cannot only become discouraged, we can also be deceived. Now, maybe you've read the book of Nehemiah before and you know what's coming at the end. I hope you have read it before. But I don't want to necessarily spoil the ending, but I'm going to give it away anyway. You know what? The enemies never do attack Jerusalem. The enemies never do attack Jerusalem. In recent years, a study has been done this, uh, that the results show that why we shouldn't let fear rule our lives. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. 20% are already behind us. 10% are so petty they don't make any difference. 5% are real, but we can't do anything about them anyway. And 5% are real, and we can do something about them. Don't let fear discourage you this morning so there are some external causes there are some internal causes but then there are some cures for discouragement now we know some of the causes ridicule repression fatigue frustration fear but let me tell you this morning definitely that discouragement is a curable disease and that's the good news you don't have to live with a chronic condition of discouragement anymore. Let me look with you at three cures for discouragement. The first cure is to request God's help. Request God's help. In the jungles of Africa, a man was being pursued by a roaring, hungry lion. Feeling, feeling the beast's hot breath on his neck and knowing this time was short, he broke out into a prayer as he ran like crazy. Oh Lord, please make this lion a Christian. Please make him a Christian. Within seconds, the frightened man noticed the lion had stopped chasing him. And when he looked behind him, he found the lion, lion kneeling and moving his lips, kind of like in prayer. Greatly relieved in the turn of events, he got close enough to hear what the lion was praying. And he said, Oh, and bless, O oh Lord, this food which I'm about to partake. <laughs> Nehemiah requested God's help in prayer. In chapter 1, we found that he was praying for Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he prayed, I think what we would call a popcorn prayer. 
It was like he was in the presence of the king, you remember? And he just sent a prayer up to God, just at a, at a kind of a on the spur of the moment. But now in chapter 4, we find him praying two different times. And he looks up from launching out and he prayed before proceeding. And take a first look at his prayer in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn with reproach from their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now that is quite a prayer. He wasn't praying for his enemies to become believers, but instead he's praying that God would judge them. Now, that prayer was not very nice, I don't think you would say, but it was understandable, and I think it's honest. He knew the enemies were really fighting against God, and so he asked God, will you please deal with them? He didn't give any lectures to the workers. He didn't organize raiding parties against the enemies. Uh, He didn't create propaganda campaigns to put a different spin on things. But here's the principle I think we can learn from Nehemiah. When people talk against you, don't talk back, talk to God. Verse 9 tells us they prayed to God and they posted a guard. Sometimes you pray and then you also have to act. They prayed and they posted a guard. When their enemies started talking, Nehemiah continues to pray and the people continue to work. And then the second cure would be for discouragement, reorganize your priorities. Verse 13 says, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah had already organized the people in chapter 3, and they had finished half of their tasks. Now, the new situation had come about, it required a change in the organization. The enemies were going to attack. They would most likely do so at the weakest places. And so Nehemiah put guards at the most most vulnerable spots. They served two purposes. It discouraged the enemy and it encouraged the people because he was dealing with their fear. You know, when we're discouraged, one of the things we can do is reorganize our priorities. We can take a good look at our lives and we can adopt maybe a change in approach instead of becoming discouraged so that we quit. Maybe there's a problem in the marriage. If so, don't bail out on your spouse. Change your approach. Adopt a new attitude. Get some help if necessary. Maybe you have a problem in your job. Don't give up. Change your priorities. You have a problem in your walk with God. Don't stop walking with God. Don't stop following Jesus. Reorganize your schedule so you can meet with him on a regular basis. Maybe you need to get a friend and someone that can encourage you in the Lord. Someone can help hold you responsible for what you're learning from God's word. But don't be overcome by discouragement. Do something about it. In verse 16, the workers reorganized again by dividing responsibilities. Half would work and the other half would watch. Those who worked used one hand for pushing the wheelbarrow. On the other hand, they carried a weapon. They worked together as a team. 
If you want to defeat discouragement in your life, you must request God's help, but you must also reorganize your priorities. And the third thing you can do is remember who God is. Remember who God is. After looking over everything and sensing the discouragement within his team, Nehemiah rallied his troops. And it says in verse 14, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Nehemiah knew, even in the face of opposition, that the success of the wall would be dependent upon God who inspired its beginning. Again, verse 10 is true. The people could not rebuild the wall on their own. They needed to remember God and what he had promised. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me sometimes to forget God, especially when things are going difficult, when things are tough. And I need to be reminded that he's always there for me. How do you remember the Lord? By remembering that he will always be there for you. We're to remember that he's great. He's awesome. God is more than able to deal with your discouragement. This morning we sang, I sing of the mighty power of God. Well, don't just sing about it. Remember it this week. When you're down, turn your attention away from your discouragement to the one who is able to do something about it. God has been faithful to you in the past, has he not? He's faithful with you today. And he's promised to be faithful to you in the future. Remember the Lord. Remember his promises. Remember his goodness. Remember his power. And our God is great and awesome. Remember him. Now the people complained about all the rubbish and rubble in verse 10. Question. Wasn't the rubbish there in the beginning? Hadn't it always been there? Of course it was. But the difference in verse 10 was when they started the project, they were focused on God and his character. Now they'd become rubbish gazers. They'd gotten their eyes off of God and upon all the rubbish. If you become a rubbish gazer, if you focus on all the junk in your life and in the lives of others, you will be discouraged. And so we need to be God-gazers instead of rubbish-gazers. I understand at the time it was completed in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was the longest suspension bridge in the world. During the first phase of the project, 23 men fell to their deaths in the icy water. Murphy's Laws were at work. Things were going bad from bad to worse because there were very few safety devices back then. And when it was halfway completed, they decided to take another look and make some changes. And this is what they did. They reorganized. They built the largest net ever made and attached it under the area where the men were working. Was it worth the cost and the time it took to do this? Well, ask the 10 men who fell into it without being injured. Not only did it save those 10 lives, I'm told that the work was completed in three-fourths of the time because workers no longer feared. Listen, God's great net of security spans the globe today. No matter where you live, no matter what you've done, no matter how discouraged we've been, 
He's stretched out his everlasting arms beneath us. As a result, we can live and we can work freely without fear, knowing that we are protected and safe and secure. Discouragement can be defeated as we request his help, as we reorganize our priorities, as we remember who he is. You know, when you think about it, most of us, a lot of us here, if we all probably combined our ages and averaged them out, we're, almost, we're just halfway there. <laughs> of course, the Lord knows when he wants to take us home, whether he wants us to live a ripe old age or not. But uh, even in our Christian lives, we're well aware of those things around us that are we would call rubble. And like the wall workers, it's easy sometimes to get discouraged, not remember the Lord who is great. He's powerful, he's awesome, and he's always with us. Jesus knows that we have built a built-in capacity to forget, and many of us default to discouragement rather than deal with it and defeat it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you.